This is Jake and Orton, and welcome to Reality Speaks. We are continuing our series today on the subject of why. Why do Christians live the way that they live? We have a special guest on today's episode who is no stranger to Harvest House, UPCI. It is Brother Ryan Near, now living out of Kansas City, Missouri, or in the general area. And he is going to talk to us today about why we devote ourselves to the ministry. And it is an absolutely enlightening conversation that I believe can help anyone who has ever had any inclination to head towards ministry, who's questioning whether or not they need to head towards it, and I I just believe that within a mere matter of minutes, as you begin to hear him speak, your life will be altered if you allow it. So without further ado, we're going to get into this episode talking about why ministry. People watching, we're good to go. All right, so we are doing things a bit differently today. Uh, the We are going via Zoom for our guest. We have with us Brother... Ryan Near. Uh, we do not have Sister Bethany and Brother Texas with us. They uh, had another commitment today. But we are going to continue with our series about why. Why on earth do Christians do the things that they do? I, I mentioned a little bit last week where I kind of did that voice why would you do that? Why would you go to church like that? Well, <laughs> uh, Bethany kind of said, well, if someone's asking that question, they probably really don't care. But down deep, everything that we say has a bit of genuine... There's a bit of genuine in every statement. How genuine it is, we don't know. But uh, I'm going to start off reading this verse about today's topic. It was Jesus' first words, but he was Jesus' first public words in ministry. But I'm going to read it from his source, Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. Point to them that mourn in Zion to give to them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planning of the Lord, that he might be glorified. So I was talking to Brother Near before we uh, came on live, and uh, I said I probably had about three people enter my mind on this topic of ministry. Uh, And it was really only about three people in my mind, and he was really about number one. And really, one of my main motivations in thinking was something that he told me a couple of, 
sometime about last year where he told me, God has put you in a season to learn to minister without a mic and to preach without a pulpit. So, Brother Nair, could you kind of tell me what it's been like from your perspective on having to do that very thing during this time? Yeah. Well, um, wow, I forgot that I had said that. That must have been the Holy Ghost because I got goosebumps when you said it (laughs) and uh, rehearsed it. Man, Um, yeah, no, I, I... a lot of times um, when we have people come into church, we we really try to condition them to our Pentecostal culture oh, yeah. instead of teaching them to truly be led of the Spirit, right? Yeah. Um, so, like, coming into church, um, that was the farthest thing from my pastor's mind was ever giving me a pulpit. So I literally had to um, learn how to minister in the sense where it wasn't something that I did, but it was actually who I was. It's kind of like love. The Bible says God is love, right? Yeah. It doesn't say God does love. It says he, he, he loved us and almost makes it like an action. But the Bible tells us that God is love. It's not something he does. It's something that he is. It's an extension of who he is. And that's what um, I believe ministry really is, Jacob, is that ministry is just an automatic outflow of a right relationship with God. And having that right relationship with God, it's when you reach a certain maturity in any relationship, there will be fruit. Like me and my wife, we were little, we were young, we, we matured, we grew up, we got married, and guess what? The automatic outflow of a right relationship with me and my wife was children, and that's what happens with God, and uh, you reach that certain level of maturity, there's going to be fruit, but a lot of times in um, uh, the way that a lot of people look at Christianity or live their Christianity is, listen to this. Instead of becoming like a 15-year-old or a 20-year-old Christian, they've just been living the same year over and over for 15 years. So instead of being a 20-year Christian, a 20-year-old Christian, they're just a one-year-old for 20 times. You know what I'm saying? So they just keep, and there's no maturity. Therefore, there's no actual ministry because ministry, like I said, is just an automatic outflow of a right relationship with God. If you are right with God, there will be fruit. Right? Is that I yeah. mean is that kind of Yeah. Help? Of course. Uh, thing is what so many people tend to forget is that the word ministry does not even remotely mean to preach. It means to serve in the context of the original language of the Bible. However, when I went to look it up uh in Webster's it's even come to the point where that's not the number one definition that Webster's gives us anymore is is the service. It's it says someone who's a minister is someone who serves in a function of talking at a church or a leadership role. But no, it means to serve. Yeah. Okay. Um but yeah, it means to serve. So well, absolutely. Um, my first uh, thought here is I was gonna, I was kind of thinking to ask you, what is your, what brought you to the point where you decided that you were going to 
step into the role that you're in now? What what brought you from stepping into the church for the first time to beginning this ministry role of any form whatsoever? Well, listen, um, God had been dealing with me a long time. Just uh, I look back now from when I was a little kid. I didn't come to the church and to truth until I was 17. But I look back over my life, and my, my pastor used to carry our mail when I was a little kid. I had uh, evangelists from an apostolic church come and reach out to me when I was like 12 years old. And like Lord, the Lord was like setting all this up. But when I got the Holy Ghost when I was 17, immediately I knew that I had to do something with what had just changed my life. I would feel like a dirty rascal if I didn't share with everybody that I met what I just received, right? So I just started sharing. And my pastor always told me, he said, um, you want to learn your anointing? You want to learn where your niche is and what you're actually uh, specifically called to do? He said, start witnessing and start teaching Bible studies. I had no clue how to teach Bible studies. I just got the Holy Ghost. But I could tell them that I got the Holy Ghost. I got. I was speaking in yeah. tongues. I can't explain it. you got to come check this out. And it, it just began this, like I said, this automatic outflow of this right relationship with God. It was just fruit because we, we're called to be the branch. He's the vine. And if we're truly connected, there will be fruit. So I would just start sharing uh, what had happened to me. And the more and more that I experienced, the more that I was able to share. See, if you don't experience anything, you don't have anything to share. But if you've experienced something, share what you have and God will trust you with more. You want deeper experiences with God? You want a deeper walk with God? Share what you have. And then when you share what you have, that makes room for more, more of a depth, more of an experience. We want to go deeper in our walk with God. Right. So what I was saying earlier about how many times we, we um, have faulty mentalities coming into the church. I was spared of this because of the way my pastor operated. Um, but he, he said that or he didn't say this, but this is what I'm saying, <laughs> that we condition people to our Pentecostal culture instead of truly teaching them how to live and walk with God and, and be led of his spirit. See, we didn't really have much of a Pentecostal culture. It was a church plant, and all my pastor could do was teach me how to hear the voice of God and be sensitive to the Spirit. And when you start to follow God and you're sensitive to His Spirit, those little whispers, you'll start to see God do things and it'll blow your mind, and then it will be a snowball effect. Because if you obey Him in this little thing, and then He blows your mind with that little thing, He'll actually do something else. It'll just blow your mind again. Because like I was saying, I just got back from Louisiana, right? Yep. And um, I was I was working with a young man, awesome young man, hungry for ministry. But I was trying to share him this concept that, you know, this isn't what we do. This is who we are. So it's like every day at lunch, I'm following the Holy Ghost. And he is seeing, we sat down with the hibachi grill. And at the hibachi grill, we're talking about God. And as we're talking about God, there's a young a man and his wife sitting across the way from us at the same table. But he looks over at his wife and grabs her by the arm and says, God is here. Like he had this just, he felt God. He said, God is here. 
frequency. And like, then they started asking us questions. We started talking. We started, and God started whispering to me about them and stuff and just looking for you. you you're never going to see what you are not looking for. Oh, that's good. If you're looking yeah. to be used of God and see God manifest in, in your everyday life, you're going to see it. Right. And then it's like that same day, that same day, that young man picked me up to go out to lunch. Um, I was sitting out on the on the deck of the hotel and I'm preaching um, just just like this right here on a recording for somebody. And uh, somebody came and sat down. But I could have done that in my room. But the Holy Ghost just kind of whispered and said, go and do it here. And this guy comes up and he starts listening to me preaching. I'm praying. I'm, I'm going crazy. This guy's listening to me. At the end, he's like, he said, that was such a blessing. And then he, he says, what do you do? What are you? And I start talking to him. And we end up got to pray, lay hands on him right there in front of everybody, you know, wow. and witness to him and stuff. And he started telling us his problems and everything. But it, if I was looking only for a pulpit, if I was only looking for uh, an opportunity within our Pentecostal culture to be used of God and to serve, I would have missed God. See, that's where it is in your every day, your uprising, your down sitting, the Bible talks about it, looking for opportunities to serve the needs of others. So, yes. um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, so it's just an automatic outflow of a right relationship with God. And this isn't what we do. This is who we, who we are. Right. And then by the time you get into a church service, you've become so sensitive to the spirit of God. And the, the church service becomes becomes an, a, a confirmation instead of your only line of communication. Does that make sense? Uh, yes. Yes it, yes, it does. It, we need to make sure that if, if you're going to do this, we need to make sure that we are in that flow. We need to make sure that we get connected to God and that it will come out. That's basically... Well, here's the thing. In, you remember... You remember in Ezekiel? Yeah. The Bible says he went into the water. He was ankle deep. Oh, yeah. And then God said, go a little bit further. He was knee deep then to the, to the loins. And then, then it was waters to swim in. A lot, <clears throat> a lot of times we stay in the first three levels, the ankle deep, the knee deep, yeah. and the water to the loins. Oh, yeah. Um, but to be truly spirit-led is like that waters to swim in where it can carry you. But the reason why we stay in the first three is because you can be in the water but still be in control. Uh -huh. Right? Yeah. Uh, and we want to be in control of our <laughs> yeah. lives because it's scary to be in waters to swim, swim in. Yeah. But it's rewarding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was kind of think that makes me think of a story. We've, uh, here recently we went out and we were swimming at a river and uh, I lost my little sandal that I was wearing. I started going out chasing it. I was thinking, well, if I if I get tired now, I'm 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 outside of the outside of where I can touch the ground anymore. I need to get where I can turn around. But right. that's what we're thinking. By the time I got back, I was I was breathing heavy. I was tired. <laughs> yeah, it happens. And I I know that same feeling. I've had a few times where I get to that place in prayer and I'm. I, I'm I'm good with doing a few things, but then suddenly there's this one thing. Get that little prompt to do, uh, that little prompt to do, and I'm like, "Are we sure about that? Are we sure about that, God?" <laughs> uh, we yeah, actually right. have a we have a question here uh, related to this. Um, so why does this not happen for everyone 
as soon as I get it, they just immediately like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this. Why does everyone not just get that as soon as they get the Holy Ghost sometimes? It doesn't seem that everyone just gets that revelation in that same way. Well, some people haven't um, exhausted every resource in the world before they come to the church. I, I had exhausted every resource in the world. I had tried everything that there is to try to fulfill some kind of um, need. And when I came to God, I didn't know that I needed him at first and stuff. But when I came into church, man, it's like, it's like this is everything that I was looking for. But I had exhausted. Remember um, the prodigal son, the story about the prodigal son. That one, he said, Father, give me the portions of good that falleth to me. And the father gave him his portions of good. Um, and, and then there's the elder brother. And I liken this to if you're going to walk with successfully with God, you have got to understand the price and the privilege of ministry. Mm. All right? This is the balance. That's why the Bible says walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. That, that worthy is not like you being good enough. Being worthy, that comes from the the, uh, the the thought process in the original language of a worthy balance. That if you were to balance something out and weigh something out, I'll give you 15 shekels for this much and blah, blah, blah. And they would have to weigh it all out. So when it's talking about worthy, it's not talking about being good enough for ministry. He's talking about being balanced for the ministry. And the balance for ministry is the price and the privilege of that ministry. You have to understand, yes, there's a price to be paid, but there is a privilege that balances out that price. And when when you understand the price and the privilege, the prodigal son, there's two sons. One understands, the, the youngest son, he understands the privilege, but he never understood the price. Mm-hmm. So he ended up in a pig pen. But then you've got the elder brother. He understood the price, but he had, had never explored the privilege. That's why when his yeah. daddy came out, he said, Dad, you know, what What about this? Uh, you never gave me a, a, a fatted calf to make merry with my friends. See, he had been there working all this time, and he would understood the price, but he didn't understand the privilege. So catch this, Jacob. So you've got the pri- You've got one that understands the price or the privilege, but don't understand the price. So he ends up in, in, in left field, in a pig pen somewhere. And then you've got a guy who understands the price, but not the privilege. But both of them were willing to settle as servants, but not as sons of God. Watch this. Sometimes it takes a pig pen for somebody to understand the price of ministry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what it took for me. I was in the pig pen, and I have exhausted every resource that I could in this life. I had drank. I had smoked. I had tried relationships. I, I, I tried popularity. I was high, started quarterback high school. I was homecoming king. I had popularity. I had all those things. I had exhausted all those things, and none of them <clears throat> would satiate or satisfy that need in me. So it took me going into a pig pen to understand the price when I finally came to the Father, mm. you know? And I was willing to pay that price. I was willing to do whatever it takes, right? So that's that's why a lot of people, they they will never explore the, the privileges of God. They only see the price, and they end up just trying to earn what God's already made available for them, and it turns into a mess. Um, but I really believe... Um, 
that that's one of the reasons why people just don't jive in head first. And a lot of times they've not had a proper introduction yeah. to Jesus and to ministry. And I, I think that I thank my pastor for that stuff uh, because he he gave me a proper introduction. He wasn't just going through. He, I mean, that guy read my mail. There's no way that he could have known everything that I was going through, and I had a proper introduction and stuff. And and I understand sometimes uh, some some people are, see a misrepresentation of Christ. And it puts a bad taste in their mouth, and they'll project that onto every other Christian, and therefore they're looking for excuses instead of purpose. Yeah, I'd say that's definitely that definitely is the truth. Um, I don't know. I can't see any any comments or anything yeah. from my end and stuff. Uh, I mean, is yeah. there, is uh, just let, questions let me know, or anything? Let me know if there are. Um, no more questions. I, I do have I'll keep an eye on it. So. I, I do have uh, one thing here. Uh, can you tell me what does this? How does it feel to you when you're when you know you're hearing from God versus? How, how do you know what? How do you know walking into a room, just what someone is going to need? How do you make sure that you're in tune with that? But I know diving in head first may not necessarily make sense to everyone. So what does this mean in practice? To dive in um, head first and know that you're hearing the voice of God and not just... Well, that's crazy. <laughs> well, no, it, it takes... Listen, you just don't all of a sudden know. All right? Um uh, because, I, and I shared this before, like a, a lamb, a little lamb, it needs to feel the shepherd's touch. That's why the shepherd will carry it, caress it. It needs to feel, okay? But then, once that, that lamb matures, it, it becomes more just hearing his voice. Like, when I first came, man, it was like, pow, like Holy Ghost hit me, right? And I knew because of the feeling, but I had to learn to mature so that I could hear his, his voice. And it started like this. And it's so funny that you asked this because I just did this with my son. My son's 10 years old and I'm, he's learning the voice of God. And sometimes he's got to have, uh, he's got to learn it the hard way. But I learned it like this. It, it's very simple. I've got a cup right here, okay? And you got that cup sitting on that table. And you just feel the small impression. Move the cup or you're going to spill it. And guess what? You don't move the cup. And guess what you do? Spill it. You spill it. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I knew I should have. I knew I should have done that. I knew I should have moved the cup. And then that same voice, that's what my pastor told me. And then I started to put it into practice. That same, that same voice, that whisper. You have to cultivate that whisper, right? And mm-hmm. if you learn that to cultivate that little whisper and you begin to operate or, or, or obey that whisper, your faith perimeter, perimeters will get bigger and bigger because, listen, you can't just automatically walk into a room and pick up on what somebody needs. But it starts with God ministering to your needs and your little things and you hear that voice of God. And I'll give you an example. The other day I was working with my son 
And I, I knew the cup principle. I shared it with people all over about move the cup or you'll spill it. Start listening to God for that way. Because we want to hear, Jacob, we want to hear God. Go pull that person out of a wheelchair. Go pray for that man with the blind eyes. Listen, we don't have faith for that. But you have to cultivate the measure of faith that God has already given you and that faith perimeter you because he gives you that measure of faith. But you take that measure of faith and you invest it in obedience and you watch God reward the obedience. You get back more faith and then you have more faith to invest. And so you invest your faith in some other act of obedience. And when you invest that more that faith, in that greater act of obedience, you see this greater reward of obedience, and then you have more faith, and then you get your faith to a place where it can accommodate anything. But it starts with that little whisper, move the cup or you're going to spill it. So I was talking to my kids, we're doing a little devotion. I looked over at my son. He had a cup of water right in front of him, and we're doing devotion. I said, Nathan, move the cup or you're going to spill it. And guess what? He didn't move the cup, and he spilled it all over his stuff. He was so upset, so frustrated. I was like, why are you upset and frustrated? Your father spoke to you and told you to move the cup, or this and this is going to happen. And now you're mad at God because you didn't obey him, and you've got a mess to clean up. I don't know who that's for. That might be just for somebody (laughs) that you didn't listen to God somewhere, and now you're mad at everybody else because you didn't obey God. If you would move the cup like you know God asked you to, you wouldn't have the mess. But you can't expect the blind eye to open if you can't move the cup. Mm -hmm. Right? So that started a little thing with me to the place where um, I've told this story many times, but I was going home from work. We were were broke as a joke, starting a family, and uh, we didn't have no money. I had shoes. I had holes in my shoes, and I was going home, and... uh, the Lord spoke to me. We didn't have money. He said, turn in and go to shoe carnival. You have shoe carnivals down there? Yeah. Yeah. Been okay. Okay. Carnival. I've been to shoe well, carnival. Well, he told me, I mean, he told me just turn in and go to shoe carnival. I said, God, I don't have any money. He said, go to shoe carnival. So I didn't have any money. I thought, well, he's just going to have me witness to somebody. So I just turned in like that, just like move the cup. I turned in and I went in there and kind of looked around looking stupid, you know, kind of like just, you know. What am I doing here? And then all of a sudden, there's a there's an apostolic man from another church there. He said, hey, Brother Near, how are you doing? So good to see you. You know, we went back and forth. And stuff. I said, well, you must be the reason why I'm here. Well, it was good to see you. And I walked out. A month later, that same man, that same man came up to me at a rally. And he said, Brother Near, I'm so sorry. He's crying. He said, God told me that day to go there to that shoe carnival and buy somebody a pair, a pair of shoes, and I didn't know that it was you. And he handed me a wad of cash and told me to go buy me a pair of shoes. <laughs> All right. All right. Now, now, yeah. now, listen. Now, the next time God asks me to turn in somewhere, what do you think I'm going to do? Do it. Amen. I'm going to turn in. <laughs> and it was that same voice. It's that same voice that that told me to turn in is the same voice that told me to go here to this person's house at this particular time where they're crying out to God and stuff. And now they're praying for somebody and I show up and they get the Holy Ghost in their home. The, the The same thing that whispered to me about the cup and the shoes is the same thing that told me about Jacob. Jacob. God's going to take you and make you a minister without without a mic and a preacher without a pulpit. You know, and that, that's the same voice, but we have to invest 
what faith we have in obedient acts so that we can see the return and the reward so we can have greater faith. Amen. Amen. And I can tell you all day long about there's little things. Man, little things. Yeah. Uh, I actually had a question pretty similar on that vein. Maybe kind of elaborate a little bit more what we have said so far. What are some moments that have made this devotion to hearing the voice of God and ministering worth it? Just what has made it worth it for you? Oh man, just just seeing seeing the return on investment, you know, and that's what a famine is. In the Bible, they talk about a famine. All a famine is is a return a, a, where you're not getting out of the field what you're putting into it, you know. And uh, there's sometimes where it feels like that, but if you can go and see all the little investments, and then the fruit that came from it, you know. Um, Man, I don't know. There's so many little because that's how God started it with me was through finances. Usually, finances is a way that God can accelerate our faith because finances is so just so we know and are well acquainted with how much money we have or how much we don't. And um, and I really feel that's like how God starts a lot of times is through our finances and. Um, in watching God through that develop the voice of God to the place where I don't want to get into all the details and stuff, but where we would just start, we gave a $10 offering and then, then that $10 turned into a hundred, 10, $100 checks in the mail, you know, little things like that. But then we take that same principle of investing our faith and obedience and then it starts, you can minister to people and their needs. And one encounter was when I was working at that same place, CarQuest, a lady came out. And listen, when she came out, I didn't know her, never met her before. But when she came out, the Holy Ghost spoke to me and told me, he said, tell her her daughter's going to be all right. And... I walked over to her. I said, I said, Hey, do you, um, do you by chance wisdom, do you by chance, uh, have a daughter? <laughs> and she said, yes, I do. Why? I said, because I feel like the Holy ghost just told me that, uh, that she's going to be okay. And she started bawling, crying in the warehouse. She said, you have no idea. My daughter just was set to be a junior Olympian and she had just fractured her hip. Her future is in jeopardy. And we end up teaching that family a Bible study. I end up baptizing her son at lunch during one of our work days. And, you know, just seeing seeing people's lives change, man. Yeah. You know, and just see and that those those moments matter the most when when you see lives actually change and all the little times that people said, man. You know, thank you for answering the call because, uh, you know, you had no idea I was going through this, this, and this, and it was stuff like that, you know. I don't know. I, I Man, there's so many to just moments where, where you realize it's all worth it. Yeah. Um, I have a qu- another question here. It's, let me make sure I'm saying this right. Okay. Um, 
find it. There you go. Okay. If God is dealing with you about something, can you ask God to send someone else the same message, kind of like confirmation? Yeah. Well, yeah. Absolutely. Proverbs twenty-seven nineteen. I was actually just looking the scripture up. It's like, as water face answereth to face, so the heart of man to man. And that, what's that simply saying is that water face answereth faith or reflects face. So if you look in the water, you're going to see the reflection of yourself, yeah. right? He says, so the heart of man to man. Sometimes you'll look at somebody else and God's dealing with them about what he's dealing with you about. But you wouldn't receive it, so we had to show it in somebody else, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so and that's another thing. Like, if you see something in somebody else you don't like, it might just be God's way of reflecting upon you what you weren't willing to see about yourself, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so sometimes if, if God's dealing with you about something, you'll see somebody else being dealt with it. Uh, absolutely, man. Yeah. Um. Oh, what was I about to say? And it just it just left. I felt. <laughs> oh, come on, in no, Jesus' well, name, you got it. Yeah. Uh, so, making me think about something. Um, there are some cases. Um, can you just elaborate on the fact that this there is a difference? Uh, this quote I mentioned it to you before we went live. Um, I was never satisfied being a preacher when I could be a minister. And just elaborate on the fact that you can do this without being a preacher. Because I know you mentioned the apostolic culture thing. And the funny thing about using that phrase, apostolic culture, when I first felt this uh, to start doing these videos, podcasts, or whatever, I, I just woke up in January, and it was like I... I had this thought running through my head. We need to talk about what apostolic culture really is supposed to be and not what we've made it. Yeah. Um, Can you elaborate on this difference between being a preacher and being a minister a little bit more in the realm of, yes, this can be anyone? Yeah, absolutely. Well, like I said, going back to being spirit-led, being led of the Spirit, following God's voice, because a lot of times if we're just conditioning people to Pentecostal culture, we they just follow the culture and not the leading of His Spirit. And we can go through the motions and we can have this idea that Jesus is just trying to modify our behaviors to fit within a certain guideline of, uh, of conditioning to a certain culture, right? Yeah. So... Jesus has not just simply come to modify our behaviors, but he came to change our nature. And when we allow him to change our nature and we begin to follow uh, the leading of his spirit, I'm telling you, there are the, the first, the very first miracles that I've ever seen were outside of a church service. Yeah. Right. Because that's why Jesus amongst the Jewish people, he kept saying this. He kept saying the same thing. He said, I've not found so great a faith, no, not in Israel. 
He said that about all kinds of folks outside of Israel. He was saying, Israel, get the hint that there's some things that your context will not accommodate. So he's saying, you need to get out of your current context so you can see a greater demonstration. See, and I believe that's what kind of happened with Corona. It's like God was trying to get us out of our, our, our context that we have become so comfortable with. We know when to lift our hands. We know it's kind of like Pavlov's dog. We ring the bell, we drool, salivate, roll on the floor and stuff, and we go home the same way that we came. Man. Right? So we, we've learned we've learned and conditioned ourselves for Pentecostal culture, but we have no idea how to walk in the Spirit. We have no idea how to follow the Holy Ghost. I told somebody um, the other day, I was like, listen, Listen, when Jesus comes and he calls, it's not going to be through your pastor. Your pastor's not going to send you a text message. He's not going to call you on the phone. All right, Jesus is coming in five. Make sure you're ready. <laughs> no, but we have to know his know and practice true. his voice now so we know how to uh, heed his voice then. Right. Yeah. Let me share this with you. That's kind of been on my heart, Jacob. Um, Do it. To mature in our walk with God, the man of God's place in our life has to adjust. Okay. Because um, right. you will always have a place for the man of God in your life. All right. But if we're going to follow the Holy Ghost, the leading of the Holy Ghost, we have to know His voice. But remember, Samuel. Samuel, when he first, when he first heard the call. To ministry, he was already doing things. He was already ministering in a sense. Um, but here's the thing, Jacob. The Bible said that uh, Samuel, when he first heard the call, yeah. what did he do? He ran to the preacher. Did you call right? me? Because that's the introductory level to the voice of God. Is that we equate the voice of God to the man of God? Man. But that's the introduction. Yes. But he kept running to the man of God. He kept running. When God was calling, he was equating the voice of God to the man of God. But then eventually, as he matured, the man of God said, Now go lay in your place and say, Speak, for thy servant heareth." Right? So yeah. Samuel, watch what he does. He goes because the man of God recognizes the call of God and he confirms it. And he goes and lays down, and he said, "Speak for thy servant here, right?" But the man, the that that that's got to. We've got to mature past the place where the voice of God is strictly just the man of God. But the yeah. place of the man of God has to adjust to the place where he's confirming what you are hearing, right? Yeah. So listen, he said, Eli. He said, "What God speak to you?" And he said, "I don't want to tell you." He said, "You better tell me, boy." And then he told him. And he said, you know what? It's right. You, you know, you're right. And he confirmed what God was speaking to Samuel. But a lot of the time we stay in that introductory stage and we've got to mature to the place and allow the men of God to be the men of God and, and, and not just be the voice of God for us, but to confirm. I'm telling you, church would be so much walking with God would be so much easier for a lot of people and especially for the men of God. If the people of God would just hear from God, and then all we'd have to do at Sunday church, we just say, wow, you're hearing from God. Keep going. (laughs) 
you're growing, you're maturing, great. Yes. But we have to stay in this constant role of being the voice, yeah. right? Yeah. So uh, if we can teach people to walk with God, the Bible says, my sheep know my voice and another they will not follow. If people are following all kinds of other things, it's probably because we haven't taught them to follow the voice. Ooh, yeah. So that, I mean, I can't even remember the question yeah. that you asked. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. That's there's... one thing my pastor did for me. He, he taught me how to follow the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost will not lead me to be immoral. The Holy Ghost will not lead me to live unholy. The Holy Ghost will lead me. It's the Holy Ghost. And if we teach people to know the voice of God, I'm telling you, there is, there is, we will be unstoppable, man as the church of the living God. But as long as we've got a bunch of um, uh, Christians that have lived that first year over 20 times, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's no fruit. Therefore, I throw in the towel too. If I if I was living the same year over 20 years, for 20 years, I'd quit too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I heard this. It's kind of in that realm. I heard Pastor Rima Duncan said, a God thought is never going to contradict the Bible. A good thought, you need to check if it's contradicting the Bible. <laughs> That's the, right. If you're not sure, you need to make sure you're in line. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we got something here? This is my question. Okay, let's hear it. <clears throat> well, hold on one second. Well, with what you just said... Um, that's another thing that God showed me. When the yeah. Spirit of God quickens you to the Word of God, that is the voice of God. Yes. So, yeah, get in the Word, man. You got to know the Word. It's like, because the Word, listen, prayer is not a source of revelation. The Word is the source of revelation. Yeah. All right? Okay, go ahead. Hey, this is this is me, bro. I got a question. Yes, sir. What are some things that will kill the work of the ministry in our lives? What are some kryptonites for ministry? Oh, man. Well, the kryptonites uh, that I was warned of is pride, money, and women. <laughs> oh. Right? Um, yeah. And that, I mean, then those things for real, if you don't master them, they will master you. And that, that's, that's for sure. Um, but, um, that th- those three things, I mean, can attack you in several different ways, but those are, those are three things. Um, but, but an- another thing that I-, I really feel like God helped me with to understand pride, money and women, and you, you've got to have conviction. And when I say conviction, what I, when I say conviction, I'm saying conviction is the decisions you make before this temptation ever comes. Okay. See, it, it's not a question of it, will you be tempted? You will be tempted. You will be t- tempted. Pride of the uh, lust of the flesh, pride of life, and the lust of the eye. You'll be, you'll be tempted, but you've got to make decisions. If you're going to be in ministry, there are some decisions you've got to make right now before temptation ever comes. See, if you're a young man or a young lady, you want to be in ministry, you want to serve in some capacity, you've got to make up in your mind, like you're going to go on a date with somebody, you 
better draw a line somewhere before you ever get in the car yeah. because if you wait to get in the car before you ever draw a line it's too late friend so you've got to draw a line before you even set the date before you even do anything you've got to have some decisions already made and it's like i'm tempted every day not to read the word but I've got a conviction, a made-up mind yeah. that I'm going to read the Word every day. I'm tempted every day when that coffee's smelling good. I could just go out on the back deck and not read. Just I could coast. But here's the <laughs> thing. That's the reason why David... Oh, man, I'm about to preach now. All right. Goodness, what time is it? Oh. We're good. We got time. We got time. Okay. Well, <laughs> no, it's just like David, think about it. David was so just passionate about his his love for God. Remember when the the lion came out, tried to take a lamb? Oh, yeah. And then a bear came and tried to take a lamb? You remember that? Yep. I think I got some notes on that somewhere. (laughs) But eventually he ended up... We had a bit of a technical issue with our recording, so... There may be a slight change in audio quality from this point out, uh, but we are going to get you right back on track with finishing up this episode. So, let's continue the conversation. And then a bear came and tried to take a lamb. You remember that? Yep. But eventually he ended up sleeping with Bathsheba took another man's wife and what the prophet Nathan come and say, he said, you got two men and this one guy's just got one lamb. Right. All right. And, and the rich guy took the one guy's little lamb and David's like that, that joker needs to die. But then Nathan says, you're the man, but think about it. See how far David had drifted. David had drifted from the one that was fighting for the lamb to the place where he became the lion he was once fighting against. See, the drift can get any ministry. So if you don't have the anchor of conviction to keep you from drifting to becoming the thing that you once hated, you will you will drift away. You will just you, and that's the thing um, that I, I just felt, uh, Brother Orton was that we can so easily, casually, gradually just drift away if we don't have active conviction in our everyday lives. One question for, one question for everybody. Um, with this line, my, my, uh, my pastor always used to say this, when's the last time you added something to your conviction list? That's good. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I'm telling you, when you start to think about that, that's sobering because conviction is not just the decisions of things you won't do, but the decisions of things you will do, right? And when you yeah. have both of those, so ask ask yourself as even as a minister, I have to ask myself, and um, when's the last time I added something to my conviction list? You know, something that would ground me, a decision that I would make, that temptation would never. I mean, I just, I'm still having to do things. Like, we just moved to a church. Um, great church. Growing church. But here's the thing. I, I'm, there's all kinds of people there. Um, 
I will. I, I, I can no longer text just a lady by myself. I have to have my wife on there. It's a precaution. Yeah. It's a decision that I'm making. Not that I couldn't handle myself texting somebody about finances or or that I couldn't text somebody about media or either. But still, it's like protecting because the Bible says um, that they would be unthankful, unholy. Unthankfulness precedes unholy. Because mm-hmm. holiness is preserving what you now possess. It helps you to preserve what you now possess, right? But if you're unthankful, you'll become unholy because if you're unthankful for what you possess, you won't see a need to protect it, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's like Adam or uh, Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark was uh, the archetype of grace, right? It was, you know, three levels, death, burial, resurrection, one door, Jesus Christ, you know, all this stuff. But then the water came, washed all the wickedness in the world, the sin away, right? And you see this archetype of grace. But within that archetype is pitch, the pitch it within and without, right? What does the pitch do? He said pitch it within, it starts on the inside, and then without, right? The pitch is a picture of holiness. And what the pitch does, it keeps what's on the inside on the inside, and it keeps what's on the outside on the outside. It preserves what you possess on the inside, protecting it from everything that's on the outside. So without holiness, you can have all the grace you want, but holiness is what causes your boat to float, right? It makes the plan work. It enables the plan to work, right? So um, if you want to keep what you possess, you just have to have some conviction and certain things for your walk with God. And, you know, I don't know. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Conviction, it's probably one of those church words to some people that just not everyone quite understands. It's not one of the most common ones, but it's it's not just it, it, it means we believe what we believe. And that there's always something more to get to. There's a next level. It's yeah. all at next level. It's what Second Peter was saying when he said, "Add to your faith." Yeah. And add this, and add this, and add this. And if you can get these things down, you won't be barren and unfruitful. Right. Yeah. Amen. Wow. Anything else new coming in? Nobody up there. All right. Uh, put this last shout out here um if you have anything else that you would like to ask if it's a little bit off topic don't worry i believe that uh god can be speaking to you if there's just something you are curious about from brother Mir or from me or pastor or if you've got something else to ask on topic of ministry it probably got just a little bit more time if you can get that on in so uh I think that we can pretty much, we're about ready to wrap up, but we are more than willing to take any more questions anyone may have. We've got 24 hours on our Zoom, so. Yeah, oh, yeah, we, we can go 24 hours, but uh, I'm not sure everyone wants to do that. <laughs> <laughs> right? All right. Uh, I'll get my wife down here, let her take take shift. All right. <laughs> do that. Um just uh, one thing that I think might be something that some uh, somebody who's 
preacher of some sort. Um, what do you think the different ramifications might be for someone? Uh, as you mentioned, you this has not been your job forever as this full-time evangelist. Uh, yeah. But I, what exactly has brought you to the point where you decided against the uh, where you decided against the working out just a secular job to being a full-time evangelist? How did that decision um, look for you? Well, it was pretty much whenever God gives you that, that um, I don't know, promotion, <laughs> for lack of a better word, um, it's because you're already doing, you're already doing the work, you know, you're already doing, um, and I always liken it to this when I share it with anybody. Um, mantle, and you've probably heard me say this before, Jake, and mantles fall on moving targets. All right. right. And uh, when I when I say that, I'm, I'm referring to Elijah and Elisha um, yeah. because Elijah was in the mountain and God was speaking to him. Go find Elisha and anoint him in your stead. Well, what was Elisha? Elisha was just a farmer boy just out in the field plowing, doing what any boy his age would have been doing. But here's the thing. He was doing what he could where he was with what had been made available to him and just plowing in his father's field. And that's when the mantle came to him. He was not chasing the mantle. And that's where we got a generation right now. They're chasing mantles, but that's not how mantles work, right? Mm -hmm. they're, not in, they're not in some youth service somewhere and the mantles are falling. We have to catch them. That's not, no, that's not how it works. It, what happens is mantles fall on moving targets, those that have been faithful doing what they can, where they are with what's available to them, not looking for a bigger stage, not looking for a greater church to be a part of. If you can be faithful where you are with what's available to you, that God will make mantles chase you. So what I was doing was I was, I was just home. I was ignorant. I was just teaching Bible studies, bringing people to church, there's times where we would go and we would serve, Jacob. I would take our youth group out and we would go and serve and we'd go to a trailer park and we'd clean that trailer park up. And we would go there for three weeks in a row with a cooler, with, with like sodas and treats. We'd hand out sodas, give out treats, and we would just pick up trash. And we wouldn't say a thing about God. We just, because they would come and ask us, well, what are you doing? What are you doing? I said, oh, we're just with the church. We're just trying to serve. We're just trying to love. You know, and then we end up uh, next Sunday, we have 13 first time guests from that trailer park, you know, and we're just out serving, teaching Bible studies. And then all of a sudden, um, after just doing what I could, where, where I was with what was available, then um, uh, an evangelist came through for a revival that my pastor knew, Jason Cisco, right? And um, he came through. And I had no clue. I wasn't looking to evangelize. I was just looking to, you know, be saved and make it to heaven, right? And, uh, and I was having enough trouble with that, you know? And uh, it was funny because he came along and he said, what, what size jacket you wear? I was like, I was oblivious, right? Um, I said, well, 42. He said, okay, okay, okay. Uh, and he said, hey, I was driving him around. He said, hey, will you run up to Walgreens and... Uh, will you give, uh, will you get me some contact solution? I said, yeah, sure, sure. And he gave me his triumph, triumph ministries 
a credit card and said, here, go, you know, do it. And I went and did it. And I went and got a contact solution. That's all I did. Right. You know, and that was pouring hands, pouring water on the hands of, you know, Elijah, you know, and I got back and I gave it to him and he kind of winked at me real. It was just weird. Okay. But the next year he came around, he said, what, what size jacket you wear? He brought an extra travel jacket that he had preached all over the world. Wow. He had taken it to Singapore. He had, he'd lived, you can go on YouTube right now. You can go on YouTube right now and hear some of the best teaching you've ever heard about the spirit of Jezebel, overcoming the spirit of Jezebel, Jason Sisko. And he's sitting there and he's wearing this jacket. But he came to the revival and old ignorant me from Iowa, you know, I'm just doing what I can where, where I am with what's available. And he takes me in the back room, my pastor, my pastor's wife, he puts that jacket on me, passes his literal travel jacket, his mantle onto me, prophesies. I fall out in the Holy Ghost. I'm flopping around on the floor. I don't realize what all that means. And then he takes the church. Like two months later, I have a dream and we're on a plane together. And he gets up, he's telling me all about evangelism and all this. He gets up and then gets off the plane. And then the plane takes off with me in it. I call him. I said, what does this mean? He said, well, I actually just got elected in Pasadena, Texas for a pastor and stuff. And that's when I started full-time evangelism. You know, I, I did not see it. I wasn't, but it's like it happened because God was trusting me with little, but then he wanted to make me ruler over much, you know? So... Um, it, it was a, it was a step of faith. Yeah. But, um, there were, there was, man, it got tight there for a while, you know, <laughs> trying to, trying to evangelize. People said, you never be able to evangelize out of Iowa, man. Churches just aren't going to be able to take care of you out of Iowa, man. And it's like, uh, we said, well, that's God, what God called us to do. And God took care of us, man. So man, it was, it's wild. I think that's probably about the last of what we got here. Uh, I think we uh, we've we're probably about to hit our typical time. So, if there's any other just final words you want to leave us with, uh, just uh, anything you're feeling that we may not have covered yet, or anything, just give I'll give you the last word to put out to the people right now. Um. Please know Jesus. Learn his voice. Because there's coming a day and an hour. You've seen how quick everything got shut down. You've seen how quick we were stripped of the context that we've become so comfortable with. God has put it on my heart to know his voice like never before. Because what happens when you don't have that constant voice of God, man of God, to instruct you in every area of your life, you're going to need to know the word of God and you're going to need to know the voice of God because he wants us to be that agent of atonement, that, 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 that uh, extension of reconciliation to everybody that we come in contact with. And if you don't know the voice of God in these last days, it's going to be very, very precarious. I don't want to cause fear, but I'm just saying we found out real quick what we put our faith in. We, we put our faith in sanctuaries. We put our faith in, in our, our cultures. 
that we conditioned ourselves with. What, what, what God is truly wanting is like Gideon. Hear me in the Holy Ghost right now. Notice that the Bible said that Gideon, when everybody else was hiding in their caves and in their mountains because they had what the psychologists called learned helplessness, they had put, they had, they had, oh man, I don't, I don't have time. But the Bible says that Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press. That's a powerful picture. Because God had to change his context to complete his conversion. And I believe that's what he's doing with the church right now or trying to do if we'll let him. Because he has for us to be a powerful entity on the earth before he comes. But he's wondering, will I find faith? And sometimes he's going to have to change the context like wheat in the wine press. Because sometimes the threshing floor isn't working. The threshing floor is where you would wheat. Uh, where you would thresh wheat in a public setting. But wheat in the wine press, wine press has boundaries, restrictions, and it's a private setting, all right? Because some things God's going to do in private that he couldn't do in public, and that's where we're going to learn his voice. That's where we are going to. He's going to change our context to complete our conversion. I just pray that we're ready to get everything out of it that we can. Man. You know? Yeah. Wow. That's good. Yep. And I think that would be exactly if you want to know why we do this or how to do this. I think I think we got that's that's just it. We need to get every bit of the voice of God that we can right now. Yeah. That is spirit led. Why and the how? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And the how. Well, praise the Lord, everyone. I thank you all for tuning in. Um, we ask uh, Pastor to lead us out in prayer. All right. Lord, we thank you for this time that we've had this evening, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we know that in this time, God, that we need ministry more than everything, God, more than anything right now, Lord. Not just preachers in a pulpit, God, but we need every saint, every Sunday school teacher, every preacher, God, every person that's a part of the church, Lord, that they would uh, realize that they have a ministry course. It may not be a preaching from the pulpit, but God, that we have a ministry to reach this world, God, a dying lost world. And I believe that this is uh, your last effort to reach, God, everybody that we can, Lord. I just ask that you would help us, Lord. Help us in this end time, Lord, that you would bless us, God. Let's, let us realize the importance of ministry, God, that it must be, Lord, at the top, Lord, of our world. We have to do what we can to reach everybody we can ministry, Lord. In Jesus' name. In precious name. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you all for being with us today. Amen.